Hello, welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. Uh, James Bond, as again, is on assignment this week, so I'm your fill-in host, James Page, co-founder of MI6HQ.com and MI6 Confidential Magazine. Um, this week, we're going to talk a lot about the media coverage and stories that have come out about No Time to Die since production wrapped a couple of weeks ago. So if you are the sensitive type who have been avoiding newspapers, radio, magazines, social media, the internet, television, um, your friends... Um, I don't want to know anything about anything. Um, maybe we'll see you in the next episode. Uh, but for everybody else, I'd like to introduce our big panel this week to talk about all the comings and goings. And so this week, I'm really thrilled to be joined with Calvin Dyson, Bill Koenig, David Lee, Joseph Darlington, and for the first time, Mr. John Clark. So would you all like to introduce yourself, guys? Uh, yeah, hi, I'm Calvin Dyson, and I run the YouTube channel Calvin Dyson Reviews Bond. And if you can come up with a better channel name for me, then please do get in touch. Uh, this is my first time back in a few months now, so it's um, it's a pleasure to be here again. Yeah, some gratuitous sex and violence. <laughs> <laughs> hi, I'm Bill Koenig, and I run a blog called The Spy Command. And this is David Lee. I run the jamesbonddossier.com. I'm also author of The Complete Guide to the Drinks of James Bond. But uh, tonight, even though it's a Friday, I'm just enjoying a nice cup of tea. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, this is Joseph Darlington from Being James Bond. I am currently drinking water because uh, Fat Joe needs to lose a couple pounds. <laughs> and uh, I'm also the author of Being James Bond, Volume 1, uh, which you can get at a discount because uh, rent is due in two weeks. <laughs> Hello, I'm John Clark. I have a website and YouTube channel called Haphazard Stuff, where I occasionally talk about James Bond. And that's it. <laughs> Perfect. So, welcome to the fold, John. And, you know, um, everybody on the internet will know you as haphazard stuff, but it's pleased to meet you in, the, in your real identity, I guess. Um, so, the first thing I thought we should probably cover, because a lot's come out in the press one way or another since No Tide to Die wrapped. And that first thing that dropped was Daniel Craig did an interview in the Sunday Times about his new film, Knives Out, but, you know, two thirds of it was about Bond, as you'd expect. Um, and I think he was came across pretty jovial and positive. But if you read the coverage of the coverage and took the snippets out of it, he he did sound a little grumpy without the context. I did read that he, you know, it seemed like he was expressing how how great it is to play James Bond. How like he's happy to be playing James Bond. And it was like much more different than that slash your wrist comment. It almost seems like he, he's he's trying to make up for that a little bit he, he knows like you know that's on people's minds and uh, it was it, it got around so it seems like this time he, he's like yes i'm he's happy about being james bond ironically like for the last time he's now he's happy about it but um yeah it seemed fine like it, it was nice which to is an interesting it. kind of contrast right yeah i mean it's very it's an interesting yeah. contrast to a lot of the bond tenures who are like by the last one they're tired and grumpy and they're kind of ready to be gone um so it's almost like this this ending to the ten, uh, bond actors tenure is is quite different to what we've seen before and, right and and back when he did casino royale he had there were all these quotes about oh i almost said no but the script was so wonderful so i said yes but then he you know but it, and there'd be variations of that for all the other movies, you know, sort of culminating with the slash my wrist comment. 
Um, but yeah, it was like, I really like James. I really like being James Bond. I really, really do. And, um, <laughs> did I say I like being James Bond? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, how much of it do you think is actually him versus, you know, the publicity departments and, uh, you know, people like positive, uh, people, Daniel, if we're going to give you these many millions of dollars, why don't you act like you like what you're doing? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think it, I got the impression that he was a bit pissed off at how much it was reported, um, you, know, you know, the, the, the slash mm. the risk comment was reported again and again and again, even though it was clearly a, a joke. Mm. And uh, so, I, you know, may, he may have been briefed, but I also think that he must have in his mind uh, the idea that he, he needs to tread carefully and uh, he needs to uh, think about opening his mouth. I, I was thinking the exact same thing. I was thinking he's probably been chased around by the uh, slash his wrist comments mm-hmm. just so much and so often. He probably now if anybody asks him, so how do you like? I love it, <laughs> just love it. Well, and and two years ago when he you know publicly announced he was coming back on the on the Late Show with Stephen Colbert, you know he made a point of saying, oh, I said I shouldn't have said that. Now, I don't think he actually repeated the quote, but anybody who listened knew what he was talking about. So, I mean, as early as 2017, he was laying the groundwork for, you know, that's, you know, he didn't say actually taken out of context. He just kind of said you shouldn't have phrased it that way and and all that. Um, I actually looked up that interview, the the original slash my wrist comment. It was fu- the funny thing was, you know, it was in Q&A format and it was about 20 questions in and the outlet that did the interview did not put it in the headline didn't put it in the subhead. They were not promoting that comment at all. It was when the tabloids and others started like going through the text, they just latched onto that and, you know, led with it and ran with it. It, it was pretty amazing. You'll never guess what Daniel Craig has said about being Bond. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Oh, didn't he – okay, wasn't it uh, that he, he uh, explained it away by saying – he the reporter asked him, like, do you want to do another James Bond movie? And he interpreted it as, like, that very day after he just left the set from the last one. He said, no way. I don't want to do it immediately. I don't want to do this just right now. I'd rather slash that's, my wrist. Than- yeah, that, that, that's, that's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think it was like the day after he'd just finished Spectre. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at, at that right. stage, all he wanted to do was go on holiday. Right. right. And, and the interviewer, after he made this uh, slash my wrist comment, then followed up to, and then that's, you know, and, and, you know, because you could tell the interviewer kind of realized, you know, there was more to that comment than there was. And so his follow-up question then solicited, you know, his thing about, you know, how he had just gotten off filming of Spectre and he just can't, you know, he just wanted to get, go home. And so, yeah. So if you read that interview, at least those two, you know, all of those comments after the two questions, not just the one, you would come away with that feeling about it was, you know, you know, I just got done with an eight-month shoot, and I, I don't really want to think about filming another – probably not even thinking about filming another movie, much less another Bond movie. And I, I just saw as the, tab, the tabloid attempt to cover the Times' story by pulling out like a few of the phrases he used, which did make him sound grumpy out of context, and that was the kind of angle they ran on. Um, 
but they they weren't very successful this time around. He did a much better job of not not setting himself up for those kind of cut and paste traps. And he specifically and he specifically said, "I'm not grumpy. <laughs> I love being James Bond, and I'm not grumpy." And it's like. You know, I mean, I made that part of my uh, summary about about him <laughs> saying he wasn't grumpy. And just, <laughs> I'm not grumpy. <laughs> well, he's promoting this Knives Out. Does he still come off as being like? It never seemed like he he enjoys doing the interviews as much. Does he come off a little bit more positive in the like? I haven't seen any of these interviews that he's done for Knives Out, but a little bit more positive and like smiling and like, hey, I'm working with Jamie Lee Curtis and Chris Evans here. This is great. And, and does anyone know? I, I, I don't <laughs> think he smiled a whole lot, but I, I, but, but, I, but, I, but uh, at the same time, I've I've seen a few quotes. Yeah, it's a great cast, that kind of stuff. But I don't know. They had the premiere this week. Um, and I, I saw pictures, but I didn't see a lot of quotes. Hmm. I have a feeling that movie is going to be his most critically acclaimed and well-reviewed non-Bond film of his whole Bond tenure. Hmm. And it was probably almost a throwaway, we'll do this in two months kind of project. So based on what we've seen so far, I think this, that that's the one that's going to stand out as the good one of all of his non-Bond efforts, which well, haven't been that many. Well, considering. And it- and when one of them is cowboys and aliens, um, right. that's, yeah. that's, that's not the highest bar to exceed. But which which is not a criticism of Knives Out. Anyways, so the the other thing that came out in that interview, which um, some of us already kind of knew because it was um, behind the scenes stuff, but Craig was all always contracted to do this film. Yes. So when he announced, like, yeah, I'm going to come back, it's like. Actually, no. You're going to fulfill the contract. That's <laughs> what you're going to do. Well, if he were if he were like really bound and determined to break the contract, he could have done it. It's oh. happened before, but hey, it's happened a lot with right. Eon. They're they're very they're very loosey goosey with letting people in and out of contracts. But so. I remember like going back and checking. It was like I think it was like after Casino Royale came out, MGM announced we extended his contract, and if I think. Two movies, so if you like added it up, hey, yeah, he he should still be under contract for Bond twenty five. You know, the yeah. title had been announced. He, at he, that point. he confirmed that during the presses for Skyfall that he had two more to go. That's right. Yeah, you know, but he but he also that's also I think it was the Rolling Stone interview. He then of course added a, a typical if bit of Daniel me. Craig color. Well, I think he referred to a contract you could wipe your ass with or something like that. So it was, <laughs> it was the typical Daniel Craig flourish. Uh, uh, yeah, just ask John Gavin how that goes, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the other big interview that dropped since filming rap was um, Lashana Lynch and Anna Damas in The yes. Hollywood Reporter, which the official James Bond social media accounts published the cover of, but did not link to the free to read article. Um <laughs> I have my yes. theories as to why that was, because um, oh, well, I don't. I, I don't think they controlled that at all, and I think that was just the actresses doing it with the Hollywood Reporter separate to. Well, if I, don't, I, could, I don't think Bond PR was involved in that one. Well, if I could draw a comparison between that story and the slash my wrists interview with uh, Time Out London four years ago, the uh, the quote that got everybody upset. I I counted it. It's like which was well, a joke. Actually, I, I I stopped counting at twenty. So it was like beyond twenty paragraphs into the story. Here's the quote, and this is what everyone is getting upset about. And I 
I did more than think about doing a post comparing those two. I actually wrote one up, but I decided not to pull the trigger on it because I decided I really don't want to be writing about tampons. So <laughs> I, I gave up on it. But um, but it's it is similar, and that's something very deep in both gets attention. Now, this is one of the reasons I chose not to. Is like there was a lot more attention to slash my wrist. That that was in a lot more outlets. Um, whereupon with the tampon remark i think that's been more kind of in the fan community because i haven't seen like i haven't seen many comments outside the fan community about it so that was another reason i decided it wasn't really worth doing a post about it yeah i'm, I'm in the same boat it's like i know it's sort of crossed a, a threshold into something more if my mum is asking me about it like if i'm on the phone to her and she brings it up <laughs> then i know that the <laughs> public are aware but this one it has just been yeah very um fan community uh, focused but this this brings us up to john and john you had a pretty amusing <laughs> video about it um, um what, what were your how, thoughts how can it not be amusing with this topic <laughs> i mean i never thought i would talk about <laughs> james bond and tampons in like the same breath it's just I, I, it, it was funny after I, I read that article i was surprised like nobody was talking about that little quote that that was the first thing that jumped out at me because it was most of it was like you know the same old my bond girl is different than the others and all that stuff and then i read about this tampon number and i was kind of shocked i was like i was like this is absurd is are they is this is this a joke i i couldn't tell if it was a joke or not honestly or if she was being sincere or i think it was a joke it, I, 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 re- I really hope it's so. hard to tell in it yeah I, I think she was just i think she was just baiting people but man. it's hard to tell if it's a joke in a print as opposed to a video interview or an audio interview even um because you can sort of detect if they're like starting to grin <laughs> right. or starting but, to laugh what uh, the problem i had with it guys was the way it was written up by the hollywood reporter who should know better yes is if somebody says oh yeah in passing i said this one time one thing and then it gets written up with, we don't know if it's going to be in the final film or not. No, yeah, yeah you do. Because it was a one time in passing <laughs> yeah. thing. It didn't even get to the scripting stage or anything else. So the Hollywood Reporter, shame on you. You know, mm. you, well, know I mean, you know better than that. Well, because when I did my summary of that, that Hollywood Reporter story, I found a lot to unpack. I, you know, I saw the tampon quote. Um, I didn't even think about putting it in um, because... I don't know. There was there was so much else to write about <laughs> because yeah. yeah yeah the uh, yeah so so uh, if this if this is a non eon controlled um, press thing and uh, once those two are doing official bond stuff they're going to be told don't mention tampons. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it was funny, you know, when you're saying like, oh, it was a joke, it was a joke. And I can't believe people even made a thing about this. My introduction to it, because I was I was away all last week on business and it was it was one of those moments where I didn't have a free moment to even think. But my first introduction was somebody who was reacting to it in a way that this is a good thing or I, I well, not that it was a good thing, but I, I was sort of surprised when I first heard the word. I was like, oh, boy, yeah, that'd be really dumb. But I, I was kind of shocked that I was kind of getting a tiny little bit of pushback from people who felt differently. And I was like, really? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, 
I, I kind of didn't know what to make of it either. And Bill, just like you, I, I was sort of kicking around the idea of doing a video, a commentary on it all week long. But honestly, I just sort of said to myself, I don't know what to say about it. I I, yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. how to. I mean, I, I was surprised at kind of the fervor that kicked up. And I think that sort of surprised me more than anything. Yeah. And, you know, I was I was doing the thing with um, James Bond Radio just yesterday. And, and so I have to give credit to Zeritsky because he sort of said it first. You know, even though we're all talking about this and again, some people think it's a very valid topic or a very valid thing to address. Uh, Other people just why would you even discuss this? Well, the bottom line is we're not getting much else from the the PR. We're not really getting a lot of stuff in terms of nature or a vacuum or right. Right. (laughs) And so we're kind of getting this instead. So it's like, well, what else are you going to talk about? You know, why can't we get a couple of videos about how cool the stunts are? Joe, Joe, time out. Time out. Didn't you really thoroughly enjoy that Land Rover Defender video? <laughs> well, there you go. Oh, it was, it was, well, but here's the, I didn't, but here's the thing. That's more, we got more from Land Rover than we got from, <laughs> from me. And also just um, in terms of a joke about having to go to the bathroom in a moment of crisis in an action movie, the first time I saw a joke about that, was in 1967 in Mad Magazine. It was their very first Star, <laughs> their very first Star Trek parody. So, like the Captain Kirk, you know, there's a crisis, and uh, Cap- the Captain Kirk character says, "Well, I'll, I'll I'll think about it after I go to the bathroom." And then the Mr. Spock character, they called Mr. Spook, he said, "Bathroom? I can't believe my ears, Captain." And he says, "I can't believe your ears either, Mr. Spook." And that was, <laughs> that was the extent of it. It just shows shows Shatner like walking in the direction of the men's room, but. Um, so, so, he put this. Yeah, I almost say it. <laughs> I was about to say some of the some of the jokes I saw in some of the Bond fan videos were considerably more. Um, just to your point, Joe, about talking yeah. about the whole um, tampon thing, because I, I I do agree with you. It's sort of like there's almost nothing else to really because the the interview on a whole was just very you know it was their usual um, as John said earlier on it was just their usual you know my character isn't the typical Bond girl sort of thing and yes, that is yes. the most sort of um, notable thing that they said in it. I think my issue with it is that talking about it or at least seeing all the a lot of the responses anyway that I saw in like Facebook and Twitter and the like it it was always sort of like that quote was like a gateway into talking about oh me too's taking over hollywood oh right. these you know woke filmmakers and all this kind of stuff and cuz i think i think it's a valid subject to talk about in isolation and in concept like i i, I don't think it's ever going to actually appear in the film no. um but it would depend on you know how they, if they did put it in the context in which they you know how they handled it and all that kind of stuff it's um you know, maybe they could handle it in a way that wouldn't take you out of the film. Um, but yeah, it, it was the people using it as a gateway for just their criticisms about the film industry and what they perceive the film industry in general to be doing today that um, annoyed me anyway, which is why I just didn't, you know, I just like, ah, I'm not going to talk about it. The the only way that gets into the film is if they do a product placement deal with Tampix. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the only time I've ever been like taken out of a film and I've thought like, oh, that's a, you know, because I think people complain about like, you know, Star Wars, all that kind of yeah. um, stuff. You know, the, I just the, think the Norelco shaver in Dino of the Day was like the worst offender when they shot it 12 <laughs> times because in 12 different territories, there's 12 different packaging oh my God. logos on it. Wow. 
No, if you if you watch that film in different territories, it's a different shot because the packaging's different. Wow. Oh. <laughs> you know, now they would just shoot a green box and you know in post, you know, yeah, do whatever. Do yeah. But but no, they shot that scene with Rosalind twelve times for twelve you. different. I didn't shows. know that. Probably took the better of a day just to make you know, all the changes. Right. Um, I, I was just going to say on the Hollywood Reporter story, when I read it, I I kind of was already kind of coming up with. Uh, sort of construct of what I think the marketing plan is. And a lot of that story confirmed it. And, you know, one, yes, it was, uh, yes, the whole thing about my characters different from all the others. Yes, that was there. I will give them a smidge of credit in the sense that at least they didn't like insult previous characters at least the actresses mm. didn't the hollywood reporter writer did but uh yeah uh, the actresses I, did. I read a while ago though that um anna de armas uh, she was introduced to bond with skyfall so yes. if she's only basing her bond yep. uh women uh experience on those two films that doesn't re- really mean yeah. very much although of course she could have uh, gone back and watched yeah. all the others in a uh, three months off and one, and one could argue, if you were to pick two consecutive Bond films that treat women really badly, so those those two, <laughs> those two, yeah, those yeah, days, yeah, yeah. Severine is like not uh, high on the treat with respect list, right? Um, <laughs> oh, I was also going to say that because the other thing it confirmed for me is like Phoebe Waller Bridge is going to be a talking point for this film. She just she already is. She's gotten more attention than any other crew member. Um, yep. and, and I understand it, you know, she's a TV star, you know, an, an Emmy award winning TV star. Um, you know, it's like, remember, like I'm old enough to remember when Scott Z Burns was got, coming in to save the script, but you know, nobody remembers him now. <laughs> yeah. Back in the day. Um, yeah. It's, it's so remember funny. Grandpa when Scott Z Burns was coming in to save the script. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we actually uh, only just got round to watching uh, Fleabag and we, we've watched the final episode of season one last night. And uh, it's, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you've all seen it, or if anyone has seen it, and what, what you think about it, because uh, it, it kind of uh, really wasn't our cup of tea at all. It, it just didn't click until, oddly enough, the final episode, where uh, it, it was quite good. Before that, it was just kind of uh, rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> but to your point, Bill, I think they are going to put her out front and center on the on the on the kind of the tertiary press campaign because yeah. she's such a hot property right now. Yes. Um, it would be foolish for them not to put her out front talking about it. Um, right. So, so that's what that, so that's how I read the whole Hollywood reporter thing was trying, you know, comparing it against what I think the marketing campaign is going to resemble and it kind of confirmed my hunches. So, so, Digging, you know, past the detritus in that interview and all the Hollywood reporters kind of writing around the quotes. Um, the the thing I took out of it was Anna de Armas's character is basically Strawberry Fields. You know, it's funny you say that. I was getting the same impression. And actually, I remember I kind of had a flashback to the press conference, quote unquote, in Jamaica. And I remember by the way the women were sitting like, I remember kind of thinking, like, well, Anna Diarmas, like, I mean, that's the Bond girl, isn't she? But why is she sort of all the way over to the left? And I sort of was sort of already getting a hunch uh, that she was not going to be the main character. In fact, I think Strawberry Fields slash Severin at best. Yeah. 
uh, I am not getting the impression she's going to be a very strong uh, presence in this film. No, and she's um, working with Bond so clearly on the, if not for MI6, but for a partner agency or whatever else implanted in Cuba as the character, right? But if you read the interview, it's all kind of laid out. It's not spelled out exactly, but you read between the lines. That's what she is. 15 minutes, 20, maybe, probably 15 in the film. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think to your point, Joe, that goes back to they created the character for her because they wanted to cast her. And at the point of that press kickoff, the Cuba filming was still some time away back at Pinewood. Um, So was it her fault she didn't know what the hell she was doing? (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) <laughs> Very good point. Good point. Well, yeah. and her schedule got changed because of Craig's injury. Yes, which also meant that the Cuba sets of Pinewood had to stay up a long right. time, which is not cheap to keep those things. No, which we'll. I hope we'll get a chance to talk about the budget later, and that's part of it. But yes, so anyway, that change in schedule then gave her a chance to do another movie, and then she came back to finish it relatively late in the shoot, like in the last couple of weeks or something like that. Yeah. But I, I thought she came out of that interview pretty good. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, more so than the uh, April reveal, which I suspect probably more represents how kind of thrown together that thing was, as opposed to anything that was her fault. Um, you know, you know, and, and Carrie Fukunaga did not help. Uh, Carrie, uh, uh, what should I say? <laughs> I, I mean, that was the tone. That's not the exact quote, obviously. And then he said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's just uh, kind of fake it and <laughs> wing it." Was his exact quote? Totally. Yes. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do this movie that's going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars by winging it. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think we're going to see a lot. I don't think we're going to see a lot of Carrie Fukunaga. No. Mm. And, you know, we, you know, we came off Skyfall Inspector where Sam was front and center of everything because he is the showman, the theater guy. I mean, he's used to doing that kind of stuff. I don't think we're going to see Kara Fukunaga really much. Also, I, this is just my personal opinion. I didn't think Sam was very good at it. He may have been theatrical and knew, knew the tricks, but he just came across. I just, I'd be like grinding my teeth just listening to the guy. He just... Particularly the whole, oh, I can't tell you, or otherwise I'd have to kill you kind of stuff. I haven't heard like, that oh, before. Sam, can you, get some, <laughs> yeah, can you get some new talking points, please? Um, so that when there was like briefly some talk that he might come back for Bond 25, I, I think I said on this podcast, if that happens, I will slash my wrist. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, how are you, how are you feeling about the – the way that the um, publicity has been handled on this one. I mean, this is a softball question for you, but um, compared to <laughs> Bond films of, of late. Um, well, they're saying all the right things. Um, like in these interviews, like, you know, uh, uh, Craig is happy and uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, she's just going to do a little spicing and all that. But um, it, I am. I. I. I still think that the movie is going to be end up being okay. It's not going to be great, and it's not going to be a disaster. But some of the stuff that they they've they've dished out it, it makes me want to brace myself. Like with the reveal that, that this that this that that teaser poster, which seems like they just slapped together in like an hour. That 
the, the this comment about like tampons, the 007 thing, I think that's kind of infected like the bloodstream to a lot of people. And they still, I, I see comments, I read comments every now and then from like just casual movie audiences still believing that James Bond is going to be a black woman now. It seems like it's already like it's already clouded a lot of people's perception of like what this movie's going to be. Um, so like I, I'm, I am, I'm kind of bracing myself. I don't know what to expect. Plus, I'm not familiar with a lot of the participants. I don't know Fukunaga. I don't know anything about Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And it, so I, I'm kind of a little bit nervous about this. Uh, I, nothing's got, nothing's come out that's really excited me about this movie saying like, yes, this is, this is, this looks good. Like, I really hope the trailer is going to be good. Um, and it, it's, and I, I hate saying that because like, you know, it's been five years we're waiting and, and I know you guys are all thinking, do you guys, you do like James Bond? Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. But, um, so far I, nothing has ignited me yet about this. I, I, I don't know what to make of any of this. I'm very curious to see what they're going to end up doing. But it's 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 vast vastly different from when I like I was a kid, and I'd see on a, I'd be watching a television commercial, and all I would know about the next James Bond movie oh this is going to be cool there's a blimp in this movie this is going to be great nothing nothing like that uh, this time around yet so <laughs> I, I, I don't know <laughs> going further back like with Moonraker James Bond is going into space and they had like in the early publicity I mean. Like in 78, while they're still filming, you know, I remember seeing a um, ad in, in um, Weekly Variety. I would go and seek it out at the local library. And it was like, they let you know, like early and often, Bond's going in space this time for real. And, you know, and like, this is like, Bond does something. We don't know what, and we're not going to tell you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And, and that stuff you heard about who we cast? No, they're not playing those characters. That's right. that silly. Right. So, that Calvin, Bill, Bill's mentioned Moonraker, so you don't need to now. Yeah, no, no. You, it only took 35 minutes. As well. <laughs> <laughs> and I also slipped down another day in earlier, and you guys didn't notice. So. Yeah, and, and plus, like, I, I, I don't like this. Um, I'm, uh, uh, I'll just finish this up, James. The, uh, it makes me nervous, too about them they're in love with this continuity thing and we know none of this was planned out or anything like that and they're bringing a lot of the baggage in from specter like i'm not very eager to see madeline again i I don't really care about christoph Mm -hmm. waltz as blofeld showing up i I, i'm I'm still and i i know they probably would never have done it but i would have preferred just a standalone final bond adventure from craig instead of like oh now he's coming out of retirement five years later and all this, I, I don't know how they're going to do a satisfying ending that something that we haven't seen before. Like, you know, he's going to retire at the end of this one. Well, we saw yeah, that I, you know, and, I, and you know, go Joe. I, well, I, I'll just say this. I, I sort of have had a back and forth with the idea of, of this film being a standalone adventure versus uh, capping off what's come prior. I, I think, a while back, you know, after Spectre, I was probably screaming for the idea. Can we just have him go into M's office, get handed a folder, go off on a mission? Um, 
but then when they talked about doing something to cap the as a sequel to Spectre and to cap off what came prior, um, I think I slowly came around to the idea because I did think, well, since you, you since you sort of have done, I mean, you had Casino and then you had a sequel to Casino, then you had Skyfall and then you had a sequel to Skyfall. I kind of thought, well, to now just sort of do a one off and then then have Craig go off right. into the sunset forever after that. Maybe it's a little late in the game for that. Mm-hmm. So, and I have seen films, not you know, in the recent that have sort of done something to kind of retcon what has come before uh, the the Creed movies. Frankly, the the these the, the last two of the Rocky franchise, which are now the Creed franchise, I was sort of impressed with the idea that it actually does sort of prop up what came before it. Uh, and so, I do think there is a good possibility that this film could be good enough to kind of make you look at Spectre and maybe the whole Craig tenure in a different light. Uh, it's possible. Can I, can so, I give you a counter to that, Joe, which is what worries me please. is Waltz pulls in a great performance as Blofeld, like what we wanted him to do. And everybody's just like, yes, that's what we wanted. Um, Madeline gets a bit more screen time. Audiences kind of get to fall for a little bit and they warm up to her. And it's like, oh, yeah, I could see why James Bond would fall in love with that woman. It's just going to make you hate Spectre a little bit more that it was a misopportunity. <laughs> well, and, I, I don't and, hate and, Spectre, and also, though. I don't hate Spectre. <laughs> no, but what I mean I is it's going, to be seen as, it's going to be seen as such a, a wasted opportunity if those characters really come out and bloom in this film. That you're no, going to be I, like, I, oh, I know what you mean. I was just, just, you know what just I mean? kidding. But yeah. also, I'm I'm old enough to remember the Skyfall press conference where I said, oh, this has nothing to do with the first two movies. No, 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 no. And so then to go and then do the retcon, oh, it was part of a whole long saga. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the end of the day, there's no way that we're not going to look back at the Craig tenure as a roller coaster ride with a lot of ups and downs and highs and lows. Yeah. In fact, I kind of feel like, again, like the, the ones that I sort of look at as being sequels to the one that came before, they still sort of have this kind of asterisk feeling to mm. it where it, it, we're adding on to the last one. We, oh, you like the last one? Here's a little more of that. Not a whole story, but a little more of that. Uh, I, I kind of wonder, like, maybe the whole crank tenure will end up being a really great afternoon marathon. You know, like if you watch them all straight through, you kind of get sort of a, a satisfying whole. But yeah, if, if you just showed somebody specter or if you just showed them quantum they're going to be left a little cold yeah it's also an era of lost opportunities i think and you know and that's not that's not just down to eon it's down to the mgm situation and but i i think you know eon really not uh wanting to or not appearing to want to put out movies more regularly has contributed to that as well yeah yeah i still think like when they got those specter rights back it, it, they should have just put him in a drawer and waited for the next Bond actor to oh, yeah. start building that that all up. They they shouldn't have pulled pulled this out for Craig. They he they gave him Quantum. They should just and Mr. White. They should have just followed that track along. They already had it laid out, maybe unintentional, but they they had something to build on, and they just wasted that all away to pull out Christoph Waltz as Blofeld, which we nobody was surprised that he was Blofeld. You know and. It was kind of squandered, I think. What I find so wildly frustrating is the idea that, you know, if there's if I could go back in time and fix one thing 
that I think could have genuinely made a difference. I would go back to quantum and not name the organization quantum yes. because audiences would be too dumb to know what that word means otherwise. Uh, that was their mistake because, again, the frustration is Casino Royale was built on the foundation of a shadow organization. And then they build on that in quantum. So when they finally get around to Spectre, it, it almost feels like they forgot all that. And they're trying to sort of like re refigure it all in a way that just didn't work. But if they kind of went back and watched what they had done prior, they probably could have made the whole thing work and said, yeah, this was the shadow organization from the beginning. Right. It, Yet somehow at the end of Spectre, we're kind of scratching our heads going, where did that come from? I said this on a previous episode. What you know, they sh I, I agree with you. They should not have named the uh, organization. And then that way, if the Spectreites came back to them, they could then say it was Spectre. But like I remember thinking, watching Casino Royale. Okay, this is like Spectre. They can't necessarily they can't say it's Spectre, but it's Spectre. And but like do it. You know, don't reveal too much like the early Bond movies with Spectre. Um, right. I mean, they showed you Blofeld, but you didn't see his face and, and all that. Um, you know, it, it. what they've done with the Craig films would be like if they had done a retcon and said, oh, Goldfinger, he was working for Spectre all along. It wasn't the Chinese. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, you know, and, and just, and, and do it in such a way where it's like, there's this scene where someone explains, oh, well, you may, you might have thought that was uh, Mr. Ling, a Chinese agent, but he had already defected to Spectre and he was working for us. Um, it was, um, yeah, it's, I mean, basically what they did is it's like their excuse was, well, it was quantum doing business as Spectre, right? Like right. They, they, Mr. White was running for a DBA in U.S. terms. I mean, it's like you know, our checks are payable to Spectre now. It's like... Um, <laughs> or, or Quantum could have been Operation Quantum. Right, yeah. Yes. Not, not even the name of the yeah, organization. They had, they had Project... What was it called? Started with a T. It's not. It's mentioned once in one line of dialogue about what the project is in Quantum. But that could have been just called... that. Oh, the Tierra, Tierra project. project. Why right. not call it the Quantum yeah. Project? Problem solved. Move on. Right? And, and on... <laughs> And again, as I said before, and on top of everything else, you had Michael Wilson, Barbara Broccoli. Oh, Quantum is much better than Spectre. Spectre was like old fashioned. <laughs> it's yesterday's news. Quantum is modern. It is like yeah. it's like today's news. It reminds me of somebody who splits. It splits somebody splits up with their girlfriend, talks shit about them for months, and then they get back together again. It's like, oh, this is great. <laughs> She's my one true love. She's my soulmate. It's like really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Spectre should have been the thunderball of, of the Craig tenure. It, sh it should it should have all come together in a way where now we are seeing the bigger picture of all that behind the scenes stuff that we hinted at. Like I, again, it was I almost felt like it was harder for them to drop the ball than right. to actually just follow along with what they had started. And the first hour, I kind of thought that was going to happen. It was going to be like that. And then in the second half, last third, whatever, it just you know that momentum just crashes into a wall and that whole thing at the specter call center and just <laughs> all that 
<laughs> so the, in, in, in this alternative uh, universe where quantum actually is spectre and uh, then Mr. White could be Blofeld and it just uh, he, he was going under a, an assumed name and he, he's still Bond's foster brother which makes uh, Madeline a bit awkward oh my <laughs> but to, <laughs> suddenly yeah. talking about tampons doesn't seem that bad. <laughs> See, it could have been far worse. <laughs> but um, to your point, Bill, uh, to your point, John, sorry, uh, keeping the Spectre rights in the drawer, knowing that Craig had one or two movies left, what a perfect mechanism to reboot with a new actor to say, well, this is going to be, you know, the Spectre era, right? To bring somebody fresh in and kick off the first film with Spectre. Yeah, now the, the, now that's exactly that what I, I was thinking, <laughs> uh, and um, I, I agree exactly entirely with what you were saying earlier, John. That uh, because it was almost like when they got the Spectre rights, it was like, well, we've got the Spectre rights, so we're going to use them. We're just going to shoehorn them into the film. Yeah. Here, writers, <laughs> do something with it. And, and also to the point of, you know, they could have made Bond 25 a standalone adventure. I saw some fans, oh, you can't, you couldn't possibly. It's like, yeah, you can. Because like going back to the novels, uh, it looked like at the end of Diamonds Are Forever, the novel, you know, like Bond's going to get together with Tiffany Case. And then at the big, you know, from Russia with Love, oh, didn't work mm-hmm. out. She left. <laughs> <laughs> we're on. We're, it happens sometimes. On. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think your casual audience would mind too much at all. Like just knowing the people who I know who, you know, maybe see the film like once at the cinema and then maybe see half of it if it's on TV and they're channel flicking. Um, I Spectre doesn't really stick in people's minds in my experience. They're kind of like, oh yeah, it was kind of Blofeld mm. and that's about it. Uh, yeah, people mm. don't, people I talk to anyway don't remember Madeline Swan even. And especially four and a half years later. It's like, yeah. oh, that was yeah. so memorable. Um, <laughs> yeah. They could have just eliminated a lot of that uh, if they wanted to do a continuation of Spectre. They could have just mm. had a throwaway line of uh, of Bond saying to Money Penny that you know he talked to Madeline recently. No, they're they're still on the rocks or something, and just like reference her, almost like that book, the, the book where he, we find out like you know Bond broke up with Tiffany Case. Sort of like a throwaway line. It says, "Oh yeah, she she was in yeah. his life for a while, but you know they're not together anymore. Mm-hmm. He's still on the job here, and and that's it." Yeah, it's funny how the filmmakers seem so intent on doing these films that are so connected and not doing standalone films. Yet at the same time, they only want to put one out every five years. <laughs> right. <laughs> if, if you want to take your time and do different, you know that's fine. But then give us a, a film that stands on its own. Well, and I've raised yeah. I've raised the possibility. And I'm not sure I'm totally sold on this idea. It's like, you know, if you're go- only going to make one every five years, okay, make it an anthology series where it's like, yeah, you could even have different bonds if you're like not going to make another one in five years. Uh, like, okay, it's, you know, it's almost like a play. It's almost like a series of plays. Um, different takes on James Bond. We'll do one once every five years and. It'll be uh, an event, and I, then I, we move on. I just have to jump in and put the asterisk on. They they, they didn't want to do it every five years. I mean, you know. I, I a, know, but MGM, they MGM spent, was it 2013, trying to sell themselves to a Chinese investor? You know, it's like there's some stuff that happened that dragged this all out. But, but, at the, but also, though, they didn't want to hurry up and do it. Like, I've, no, I've heard like some people. Sony are, quantum, yeah. 
Right. Because I've heard some people say, well, you know, the plan was for three years. It's like there was no way that uh, Bond 25 was going to come out three years after Spectre because Daniel Craig didn't want to do it that soon. Barbara Broccoli didn't want to do it that soon. Yes, there were things going on in MGM, but there were also things going on at Eon at the same time. It was sort of like this perfect storm. I hate to use that analogy, but, you know, they, they came together. It's like suddenly nobody's in a hurry, studio or uh, production company. Um, it was, you know, like four years was at the minimum. And then once they had problems come along about Danny Boyle and all that stuff, then that stretched out another six months. I wonder if, if the, you know, to your point about why have them so connected if there's be these big gaps, if this was a TV series or show, they'd be like previously on James Bond <laughs> <laughs> at the start of the movie to recap yeah, that, on all that of these things. That would be the three titles, reference. wouldn't it? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but I, I wonder if in the publicity, they're going to have to do a, something to reference all these callbacks so that it's not i mean the hardcore fans aren't the ones that make the box office no well i think they must have some kind of self-awareness about this kind of thing because like in specter how they handle quantum i mean you know like blofeld's going around and he's putting up pictures of le Chiffre and yeah. you know vesper got, and all that all, kind all of the stuff in my from the press office <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly but there's there's none of like you know green or um I was about to say that was the one thing they wanted to make connected, but they like hardly referenced quantum. There was yeah. like in in the titles, there was like that one thing of Bond and the woman free falling. I think that might have been the only quantum reference in I the main titles. Green does pop up on when I yeah, think very um, quickly. On, yeah, yeah, on yeah. Penny's screen when Bond's in the car, I think he just pops okay. up quickly. Um, yeah. But that's well, pretty I- much it. Yeah. When Q has got the ring sitting on the laptop and he sort of is doing this little DNA, whatever he's doing, oh, there is, it. yeah. But he does. He doesn't say green. He just says quantum. Yeah. Right? And, but you see the shot of green. But that's yeah. yeah. He's got better access to ancestry.com than, than we do. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I don't know. It was it, Dom, um, Dominic Green was like conspicuous in his absence, wasn't he? Yes, I I, I think they obviously made that, you know, a deliberate choice to do that because they were like, okay, well, no one remembers that one. People remember Casino Royale Skyfall. So, why, wait, 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 nobody remembers Quantum of Solace? Wait a minute. Just, you know, it's like I remember them making a big deal about Quantum of Solace. Like, let's sweep this one under the rug. Um, (laughs) I I think it's more like that, but uh, we. Oh, yeah, the the movie that shall not be named, you know, like when people talk about someone they hate. (laughs) (laughs) Was that your Michael G. Wilson Uh, impersonation of the episode, uh, Bill? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it wasn't. Uh, I I, I wouldn't count on Michael G. calling me this episode. I I think uh, the last one, he butt-dialed me by mistake. uh, Anyway. So any other thoughts about what's been not happening mostly since the film came out? Well, I, I have trailer. some thoughts about the budget, which yes. has which has come out in like as an aside, first in the Hollywood Reporter and then the Daily Mail. And like neither one explained it anymore, which was just totally as an aside, the Hollywood Reporter said $250 million. And then a few days later, the Daily Mail had a typical gossipy story. They said 200 million pounds. 
which I did yeah. the conversion is like two hundred fifty-six oh, million. Well, but, they, um, they they just did the conversion from the Hollywood Reporter bill. That's not that's not information that Daily Mail had. That's my guess, but uh, you know, that's a, I, I took the Hollywood Reporters you know seriously. I didn't take the Daily Mail seriously on you that. Didn't. But, which Shocking. I had done. I know, um, but like back in April, I had done a post and I didn't predict anything hard and fast, but I said, you know, there was this kind of fan theory. It's like, surely they're going to economize this time because, you know, there were all those emails that leaked out with Spectre about how much money they were spending and it could be the one of the most expensive movies ever, although that was before you, know, you factored in all the product placement and tax credits and all that stuff. Um, so I remember thinking, you know, they're probably not going to economize because they built sets and then Danny Boyle leaves Oh, Well, we have to leave the sets up because we can't give up the, um, we can't give up the stage space because there's all these other studios like clamoring after it. Um, Craig's supposedly getting $25 million. Um, that was reported by Variety like two years ago, 2017. Um, and, and then with, you know, the, and the delays that have happened, we talked earlier about they had to leave, leave the Cuba sets up, um, and that's expensive. Um, it just didn't seem to me like they could economize at all. And assuming the $250 million figure is close to being accurate. It should be. They, they didn't. I mean, just to put it into context, I just had a look up. Fate of the Furious, the new Fast and the Furious movie, the recent one, $250 million budget. Yeah. So if you were to say the man in the street, oh, the new James Bond movie is going to cost the same as the Fast and the Furious, they'd be like, really? I think it would. I would think most people thought Bond movies would be more expensive. I I still can't believe how much movies cost, though. Didn't they say, like, from the Sony hacks that Spectre was like $300 million? Originally, mid three hundreds, <laughs> yeah. But like I said, that was before you would factor in, you know, the product placement. It, well, the tax, not, the tax write-offs, the deferments, the uh, how yeah. much would it cost us to do it if we didn't get this for free? That goes. We have a whole episode with AJ about that, and it's like, right, if it's a two hundred fifty million dollar budget for Bond, in terms of hard cash, it's probably like one seventy five, because of all the other things that get factored in that they don't actually pay for. Or they get money back, right? But the Sony hacks, like the, the- and it, and it's all and it's all on the screen, apart from the money that's flashing down the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 as I recall, with the Sony hacks, when they said, I think he, I think the executive said they were on track to spend in the mid three hundred, yeah, three hundred million, and then they lost and, their shit. Right. If you if you and read then- the if you read the emails, it's actually quite funny because. One of the points that somebody raises is for that fight sequence in the train, can we go from like five train cars to four train cars? Because, and I was thinking to myself, wow, I mean, talk about death by a thousand cuts. If you're trying to like get a hundred million dollars off your budget, um, shaving one of the five train cars off the set build is really going to do that. But, um, right. And, yeah. and apparently what they did was they, they cut the number of train cars and then they added them with CGI. <laughs> so it probably cost the same. <laughs> uh, well, 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 maybe, maybe not. It's just like it would probably be cheaper to like do three rail cars with CGI than like getting finding three real rail cars. 
I was just going to ask, wasn't the, the Rome car chase something like some absurd amount? It was like $20 million 20, or something? 24 million pounds. 24 million pounds, $36 million at the conversion rate at that time. Uh, yes. I'll, I'll drive my car around uh, some empty streets for half well, of that. And, and apparently a lot of it was they had a, like a lot of cars and like those Jaguars cost like almost a million a piece or something totally preposterous like that. And God uh, knows yeah, how so, much Aston spent on, on those DB10s as well. But, but here's yeah. the thing, that would have been factored into the budget because the budget is always, if we had to pay for everything ourselves, how much would it cost total? The fact that they get it, that's what I mean about the hard cash cost was a lot lower than what their budget was. Um, but and if, just, if you've ever done business in Italy, I don't want to like cast aspersions on a whole country, but this <laughs> yeah, costs a little bit more than you think to get yeah. stuff done. <laughs> well, also... Um, Eon gives the Daily Mail all this access to the filming of that sequence. And they are like practically bragging about the amount of money they're spending. So, I mean, I've, I remember reading that story with the $24 million pound figure. And it's like they were proud of it. They were like strutting their stuff. Like, yeah, we're like spending all this money. And like, you know, it's like that's like half the budget of some movies. Yeah, maybe more. Yeah, <laughs> they, they they should have been, they should have driven the car through the Coliseum for the, for the money they spent. Yeah, yeah really. Mm. Yeah, because it was such an underwhelming yeah, I, I sequence. Know, but it's, yeah. it's like it wasn't it, a, it, it's the it wasn't a car chase. It, it was a car drive. Both, both the car, <laughs> car chases. Uh, yeah, but both the car chases in the Daniel Craig era have been underwhelming I, um, I don't think there's been any apart from quantum and and Spectre and you know you, uh, you the amount that they spend on them and they the amount of time that they they spent setting them up and doing it and you know there's uh, undoubted talent with the drivers and so on and then uh, they just just kind of screw it up then they're not done well at all and uh, th- that's that's a real shame that, I, that's I guess one of the lost opportunities I think of the Daniel Craig era I, I tell you where that started. I tell you where that started. David was dying of the day because um, Vic Armstrong has his cut of the car chase from that film, and it's great. And then when it got into the edit bay with um, Cheese, was it Cheese and the other editor, and they started doing the intercut with like Halle Berry trying to get trying not to drown and him on the phone yeah, no, and all, you, all you, the other yeah, stuff that's yeah, going yeah, on. That's, that's, just just need to focus it. on one thing because the problem with the, the Spectre chase or, or one of the big problems with it is that Bond's on his phone half the time and then you get cuts to money pennies flat and uh, it's like come on he needs to look like he's really working that car doesn't he he needs to look like he's he's uh he's in danger and you can't you can't have a chat like that on the phone while you're trying to escape hink in the bloody car yeah well it's bond 20 bond 26 it's going to be the self-driving aston martin when he can be on the phone and doing his expense reports during the car chase I think the worst event, the worst, the worst part about that whole thing is when Hinks actually catches up to him and looks over at him, and he goes, "Oh, <laughs> yeah. be right back." <laughs> yeah, you it, it's suddenly hard right, <laughs> isn't it? That's right. That's right. It's like all right. And, and with Quantum of Solace, would it have been too much trouble to like maybe make the uh, Bond's car a lot different color than the other cars trying to <laughs> yeah. get him? It might have yeah, made things yeah. a little clearer, especially to the at audience. night. 
Actually, I've got a question about the quantum of Solis car chase. There's something that I do not understand. There's a there's a truck in one area, and it's got a kind of spike on the side. And I can't work out whether it's just kind of yeah. incidental that, yeah. that it's there, or whether it's uh, one of the uh, one of Mr. White's men. Uh, it's, it's it's not clear at all. I always, the truck I always, always is the thing that gets the that blasts the door off. The door off right? Yeah, like, I, yeah. What, at the premiere, I, at the premiere, I thought the guy driving the truck was the one that was trying to kill Bond. Well, it's so quickly cut. You, I'm not surprised you'd think that. Um, yeah, um, I, I think that at one point the truck like slams against the wall, and then that means that its bumper or what yeah. something turns yeah. into a spike. That right. then yeah, it looks like yeah, it's like part of the bumper yeah. that sticks out after a hit or something. Yeah, yeah. I. I I only know this, like having like Quantum of Solace and going through it like frame by frame in editing software to mm-hmm. see these things. It's like it's like how um, that's what they're, that's what they're aiming for. Calvin. It was the, <laughs> that's, the long, how, the long, that's how a film's long. designed to be seen. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like like that bit where Mitchell shoots at M and the bullet deflects <laughs> yes. from the little um, thing in front of her, and it's like, oh wow, didn't pick that up my first seven <laughs> times watching. And, and, and also when they were filming the Spectre car chase or car drive, um, I remember on some of the uh, internet bulletin boards, oh, people will like forget all about the bullet car chase. This is going to be the greatest car chase in the history of cinema. Um, mm-hmm. Not so much. And it's, the thing is, like if you go back and look at the bullet car chase, there are technical flaws in it. Like in some um, – Sometimes the Mustang is fine. Sometimes yeah. the Mustang has a big dent, but like nobody cares because it was executed overall mm. very well. And it's just there's no way that the Spectre car drive was going to make people forget about Bullet. No, Sorry. I think yeah. I think the thing, the credit you have to give to Bullet was nobody had really done it before, right? In that way, for an extended sequence, and yeah, they had no playbook. There was no tropes. There was nothing that oh, we're going to wedge this in. So there really is no excuse now when to, to make it boring i don't i can't you it's almost like they had to work at ruining the specter car chase yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and also with bullet just for a second so like lalo schifferin who scored the movie he knew when to put the music in which is like before the chase begins yeah. and that like that like gets you tense for it and then once a car chase like no music just yeah it's to a, see it's, it it's got and a great build up to it that was that. like the perfect yeah. choice yeah the buildup to that is just fantastic. Which actually, I, I thought they did something similar in Quantum, which I thought was good. There was a crescendo of music, and then like boom, the cars. I, I thought that was clever. Yeah. Kind of the, ends the, there. the music in Quantum is excellent. Yes. It, yeah. It's it's yeah. really really good. That's a very nice segue, guys, and, to the rumor. <laughs> well done, is, though. It's five points. Um, the, <laughs> <laughs> we might be getting a different composer. And on that cliffhanger, we're going to leave it there because we've gone over the magic hour mark and that's people's lunch breaks. So we're going to come back for part two in a few days, if you're listening to this in real time, with the panel to talk about No Time to Die news and uh, non-news that's been happening the last few weeks that we've covered the the latest production. And we hope you join us um, for part two of this discussion. And if you haven't already and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you would hit the subscribe button or leave us a little review. It's not something we've ever asked um, the listeners to do, but we love hearing from you um, and your feedback has been great. Or if you're on Twitter, use the hashtag AskBond. See you in a few days.